It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. <laughs> home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Austin Matthews has passed Connor McDavid for the NHL scoring lead. He scored his sixth goal of the season tonight. That's his 10th point. One up on McDavid as the Maple Leafs try to fight back against the Lightning. Tampa Bay still leading it 5-3 with seven minutes left. The Sabres are up 3-1 on the Flyers with three minutes left. Calgary trying to hold off the Blues. It's 3-1 for the Flames with 13 minutes to go. Late in the second period, Dallas 2, Winnipeg nothing. The Wild shut out the Bruins 5 Nothing. The Devils beat the Coyotes 5-3. Taylor Hall, two goals. He now has five on the season. Sidney Crosby scores in his return to action. The Penguins edge the Panthers 3-2. Former Oil King Mark Pesek had a goal for Florida. The Red Wings knock off the Hurricanes 4-2. few games still coming up later tonight. At Rogers Place, the Brandon Wheat Kings lead the Edmonton Oil Kings 2-0. Early in the second period, shots are 15-4 for Edmonton. So the Wheat Kings with two goals on four shots. And the World Series tonight, top six. Cleveland three, Chicago Cubs nothing. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We'll be on the air at 6 o'clock tomorrow with the face-off show. The Oilers game against the Washington Capitals starts at 7.30. The Caps, good team. Can they get over the hump and grab the cup this year? Ben Raby is the broadcast host on the Capitals Radio Network. Ben, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, doing well, Reed. How are you? Doing very well. Great to talk to you. The uh, annual visit for the Washington Capitals to uh, to Edmonton. It seems to be happening in October more often than not. I don't know uh, I don't know why that is, but it it always seems to happen early in the season. Tell me a little bit about the mindset for the Caps going into this year. I I picked them to win the Stanley Cup last year. And they were really good, but they didn't get there. Uh, I mean, is this an angry bunch, a frustrated bunch? How do you characterize their attitude rolling into this season? Yeah, a couple of things real quick. I'll let you know this is an annual fixture on the Caps calendar, the Western Canadian Road Trip. The the Horse and Pony Show comes to town. The International Horse Show takes over Verizon Center. It doesn't smell very good this week, I'll tell you that. But the Capitals, this is the annual Western Canadian Swing. They hit up Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg. Better to go now, from what I understand, and a few months down the line. So it's a fixture on the Caps calendar. So uh, that's why you're seeing them once again in late October. As far as the Capitals' attitude this season, coming off, uh, again, another playoff disappointment a year ago, uh, I'll tell you this, Reed, that there's an understanding with the Capitals, and it was even such last year before their President's Trophy winning season, that the thought was going into last season, they had a two-year window with a number of the players, a number of the core players 
on this roster. And, and not to suggest that if they don't get the job done this year, they, they won't be a contender again next year. But with this core, uh, when you look at this roster, the way it's constructed, there hasn't been a lot of turnover from last year. In fact, only former Oiler Jason Chimera is really among the pieces uh, that's gone. You know, Mike Richards was a mid-season acquisition last year. He's no longer here. But really, the Capitals kept intact the President's Trophy winning team from a year ago. That being said, T.J. Oshie is in a contract year. Carl Olsner, a fixture on the blue line for the past few years, is a free agent at the end of the year. Dustin Williams is a USA to be later in his career, of course. But there are there there is going to be uh, a little bit of turnover, regardless of how this year ends. So to answer your question, as far as how they're approaching this year, there's a number of guys on this team, a number of guys who have been on this team through a number of playoff disappointments that recognize with this core. Uh, this could this could be a final opportunity, and Carl Osner, uh, longest tenured defenseman on the team now, is, is really at the head of that list as far as guys who are really chomping at the bit and raring to go. And, and the thought is that there wasn't a whole rebuild, not rebuild, but there wasn't a whole that a lot of turnover over the summer despite the playoff loss. And Brian McClellan kept the team intact, and and they're ready to go at it really with the, the same core here for for one more run. Last year they beat the Oilers seven four. They also beat them one nothing. Uh, no, maybe I'm reading too much into this, or or, or maybe it, it is a small picture indication of bigger picture improvement. I, I mean, they won a bunch of games last year, especially compared to Capitals teams of three four years ago. Are they better equipped, more willing to win games in in different fashions as opposed to only being able to outscore teams? Yeah, the 7 nothing, and I remember that game in Edmonton. Kuznetsov had a hat-trick for the Capitals. It was was a wild Friday night at the, at the old Rexall place, but to your point, the, the one nothing showing that they had, uh, I believe it was last November at Verizon Center, uh, not to suggest they have a whole lot of one nothing games, but low-scoring, one-goal games are certainly more commonplace in these parts than they were years ago. You think back to Bruce Boudreaux and, and sort of the running-gun hockey that the most exciting show on ice, as they were called earlier this decade, 09-10 season, comes to mind when they won the President's Trophy. Uh, this is a team that, in their opinion, finds different ways to win, but ideally on a perfect night, again, one nothing might be an extreme, but uh, the Capitals have, have scored the first goal in their first five games so far this season, and they're a team that prides itself on you know, clamping down come the third period. You look at a year ago, their record of 34-0-2 and leading after 40 periods. They're a much more responsible team, much more defensively sound, and a lot of that comes from Barry Trotz and his staff and what he's brought over from Nashville a few years ago. But it certainly is a, a much more, as you'd say, responsible bunch than they were a few years ago. And to that point, responsible teams don't often find themselves in 7-4 running gun contests. That, that was more the exception than the rule game you were referring to last year in Edmonton. Ben Raby joining us from the Capitals Radio Network. Caps and Oilers coming up tomorrow night from Rogers Place. Hey, uh, i, I got to ask you, what's up with uh, Daniel Winnick's ear? <laughs> it, it was, um, I want to say slight exaggeration, but yeah, we're going to go with slight exaggeration. There, there, were, there were reports. Now, in defense of my colleagues who went ahead and reported that a piece of his ear had uh, had literally come off after blocking a shot last week in, in Florida. Uh, that was what head coach Barry Trotz himself said in his post-game media scrum. He said a piece of his ear was shot off. He's missing a piece of his ear. You can go back. You can watch 
tape, you listen to it over and over. Those were the words that came out of the head coach's mouth. So to quote the head coach, yeah, apparently Daniel Winnick lost a piece of his ear. And two days later, the team returned home from South Florida. They were back at practice, the facility here. And everyone's keeping an eye on Daniel Winnick. Is he going to be on the ice? Yeah, he's on the ice. He's practicing. Is his ear intact? Are the stitches? What's it going to look like? Looks like any other ear. And he's a little scar, a little scab, but it was intact, and he was good to go. He suited up over the weekend, and... And Barry Trotz said the story was, was a little exaggerated. And, you know, the reporter said back to him, well, we quoted you. And he says, yeah, maybe, maybe I didn't have all my facts straight. So <laughs> I had a good laugh over it after the fact. And I'm sure it made for a few web clicks over the, the, the 24, 48 hours afterwards. But it was, uh, it was a little bit for a notch in the end. And uh, Daniel Winnick was, uh, was good to go. And the ear is still, uh, still in one piece. Okay, so he's, uh, it's not a Tyson Holyfield situation or anything like that. Everything's uh, No, and of course, that's good. what everyone thought immediately, right? <laughs> everyone thought right away. That's what comes to mind. But no, it, 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 it's fine and it's intact, and folks will see it on TV tomorrow night, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. that's good to hear, I guess. Uh, ben, thanks for giving us some insight on the Capitals. It's going to be a fun showdown, another measuring stick, certainly, for the Edmonton Oilers as they're off to a good start. Hey, I hope we can do this again, man. It was great to have you on Inside Sports. Appreciate it, Reed. Thank you. That is Ben Raby, host from the Capitals Radio Network, checking in tonight. Grew up in Montreal. Grew up in Montreal, likes the Montreal Alouettes, now working in Washington covering the Capitals. Fun to have him on the show for sure. Big game tomorrow, Oilers and Capitals. Oilers off to a 5-1-1 start, or 5-1 start. The Capitals coming in at 3-1-1. The Tampa Bay Lightning destroying any hopes of a Toronto comeback. They had a couple of goals and now lead the Leafs 7-3. That's late in the third. It's 8-15 inside sports on 630 Chet. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Alright, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's Inside Sports on 630 Ched. And uh, yeah, 7-3 the Lightning over the Leafs. Austin Matthews now leads the NHL in scoring. The Senators have jumped out to a one nothing lead on the Canucks. Uh, that's only about eight minutes in. Calgary looking to win again. They beat Chicago in a shootout last night, 3-1 over the Blues. Full scoreboard later on, but those are some of the key ones as we uh, move along. Oh, the Jets in action as well, losing 2-1 to the Stars after two. My name is Reed Wilkins. Pleased to be joined by the uh, communications and marketing guru for Canada West Conference, regular on the show. Evan Dom. Hi, Evan. Reed, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, I know. I can tell you're thrilled. Thanks for coming <laughs> in. And I know it's, seriously, though, it's an incredibly busy time of year for you. Because what, what are we, a couple weeks away from football playoffs? Yeah, final regular season this week, or regular season weekend, uh, this weekend, Friday, Saturday. So then we get into the playoffs, Hardy Cup semifinals on the 5th of November, and then the 80th Hardy Cup on the 12th. Now, you were at the Golden Bears 7-overtime game against the Manitoba Bisons on Saturday? I was there. I was there in pers- person to witness the longest game in Canadian football history and the second longest collegiate football game of all time. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that. So it's the longest game, not just in Canada West, but in... It's it, the longest in, recorded Canadian football game. Okay. 
Seven overtime periods. And what's the longest ever? There's a, there was an eight-overtime game in 1998 between uh, Division II schools and NCAA. Because they use the shootout format as well. Everybody right. uses that now except the NFL. Right. And the longest Division I game, Arkansas was involved in a couple of seven-overtime games uh, earlier this decade. So it's right up there. I mean, it was historic. Um, you know, in terms of it, – it's funny because regulation was so-so. Um, you know, it was 28 after four quarters, and Manitoba made a kick on the last play of the game to send it to overtime, so we were that close from not going overtime at all. <laughs> and then we went for uh, seven, so we were there an extra, well, almost an hour and a half. Now, there, uh, there was a little bit of uncertainty, even with I've talked to a couple people involved in the game, did, did, because the CFL has the rule, they have ties, they only have yeah. two overtime sessions, but you must go for a two-point convert if you score a touchdown. Does Canada West have that rule? No, not required. So okay. when they were going for two-point converts, they were just trying to put the pe- uh, pressure on the opposition, and we had a, we had two overtime periods where they were successful on the two-point converts, and the other team made it as well. And one of them for Manitoba was a, an end-around flea flicker and a two-point convert throw to the uh, quarterback, Teo Dizar, standing in the corner of the end zone all by himself, nobody around. Around them within 15, 20 yards. So oh, gee. Is there, it was they, wild. Do they go from the three or from the five? Uh, three yard line, so I believe. So they moved it up like yeah. the CFL did. Are the converts from the 32? Long, long converts, yeah. They do have the long converts. Okay. So you might as well just go for two. Hit overtime. Yeah, I mean, That's it was crazy. crazy. It was an important game. Uh, at that point, Alberta had already been eliminated from, from the playoffs from the result earlier in the day when Saskatchewan beat Calgary. But Manitoba... Uh, their playoff lives weren't on the line because technically they could have got got in still with a loss last weekend, but it was a, vir- a virtual must-win for them. So they pulled it off. It was uh, it was entertaining. It was crazy. You're a big sports fan. I mean, at what point were you watching this and thinking, "Well, never going to see this again"? Uh, when we got to, when we got to five overtimes, because we had a four overtime game earlier this season, UBC uh, beat Manitoba fifty three to fifty, if memory serves correct. So Manitoba has been in a couple of epic thrillers um, this season, and this is the first time in conference history we've had more than two overtime games in a season. Oh, so really? We've had three this year, and that's the most in conference history in a single season. So it's all sorts of history. Tyler Henry set the uh, Alberta uh, receptions mark with nineteen. He was the second most receiving yards in Canada West history, two hundred. 98. If the Bears would have scored a touchdown on, I'm trying to think, the sixth or their seventh, uh, their sixth overtime possession, he would have set the record because they were at the five yard line. Um, they kicked the field goal instead. Um, so it was crazy. All right. And what was it, 67 59 it ended up? Yes, 67 126 combined points, second highest scoring game in Canada West history. No, was the highest scoring game an overtime game? No, it was 74. Wow. 58 Calgary over Manitoba in 2012. Not in, in overtime. All in regulation. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, defense playing with two men? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't there to witness it, but they might as well have been. I, that's that's mind-boggling, Reed. No, no overtime periods, and they score 132 combined points. Just crazy. Insane. Evan Dom joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. Uh, Taylor Field, Mosaic Stadium, whatever you want to call it, last game. You got to go one last time this summer, didn't you? Yeah, I was there when the Rough Riders played the Red Blacks. Well, they, they won. That was they their won first that win. Game. That was a good yeah. game. It was a good game. And um, last trip to Mosaic Stadium for a Rough Riders game, I might be back there uh, because obviously Regina's in the Hardy Cup playoffs and they host the semifinal on the 5th and they might host the Hardy Cup on the 12th. So I might be back there for uh, a little final 
final tour around. It's funny because the Rams played the first ever game at New Mosaic Stadium against Saskatchewan on the 1st of October, and they're going to play the last ever football game at Old Mosaic. So they just book the riders. Yeah. How did that one go on uh, the university game go on the 1st? Yeah, it was tremendous. Um, over 16,000 at New Mosaic. Um, that's what they, 16,500. That's what they capped the uh, ticket sales at. They wanted to keep it uh, at half the capacity of the stadium. Uh, it was a great game. Regina came out on top. Uh, you know, it was hotly contested. Lots of sad Saskatoon people uh, made the trip down to watch the Huskies. Uh, a good contingent of Rams supporters, and then obviously a lot of people were there just to see the building. But it was a good showcase for the league, and it was a big win for the Rams, who have uh, you know gone from 0-8 last year to first in the conference and a top 10 team that has a chance at realistic chance to making the Vanier Cup. So the stadium is usable. Yes. Um, so, like, but is it not quite finished, or was it? It's just, pretty close. Like, yeah. there's some finishing touches that are missing, some some signage, and the concessions weren't fully operational. So they sort of had temporary vendors in the concourse level. Uh, just some small touches. The jumbotron was not finished; oh, okay. it wasn't operational for the game. They had the ribbon boards and the end zones that were up and going, but uh, a couple of things that they need to to finalize before it's ready to rock. But it was it was you know. 90% done. Uh, underneath, when you were down by the dressing rooms, there's still some construction stuff, and you can see that there's still work being done, but it was virtually complete. All right, Evan Dom in studio from the Canada West Conference. We'll uh, touch on a little more. Uh, it's no longer CIS. U Sports Canada, that's what it's called now? Or U, U, U Sports. Just U Sports. Just U Sports, Reed. So now, uh, okay. Well, that's an interesting change. It's also interesting they would do it mid... Well, I guess they did it before the hockey season. Nope. No, they didn't. They the, did. hockey the hockey season yep. started. Yep. Why didn't they just do it in August? I'm, I'm probably you're probably in a position where you can't exactly comment. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do my best for you. Wish they would have just changed it in the summer. I I had wind of the name change coming in the summer, and then I was like, well, maybe they're not doing it. And then they they did it in October. All right. Well, we'll touch on that. We'll talk a little Oilers, a little CFL, maybe a little video replay. All with Evan Dom as we move along. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Cam Talbot, first star of the week in the NHL. He'll be in net tomorrow when the Oilers take on the Washington Capitals. World Series Game 1, Cleveland 3, Cubs nothing. That is in the top of the seventh NHL action tonight. Just give you a quick update here. Actually, I'll give you the Oil Kings first. They're still down 2 nothing to Brandon late in the second period. Uh, all right, here's what's going on. Flames now up 4-1 on the Blues. It's almost over. Jets leading the Stars 2-1. Third period's about to start. Sharks out to an early 1-0 lead on the Ducks. Ottawa 1, Vancouver nothing in the first period. Blue Jackets and Kings still to come. The Wild pound the Bruins 5-0. Dubnik a 27-save shutout. Taylor Hall scores twice. Devils beat the Coyotes 5-3. Penguins over the Panthers 3-2. Crosby scores in his return to action. The Lightning beat the Maple Leafs 7-3. Stamkos two goals. He has five on the season. Matthews gets goal number six on the year. He has 10 points. He leads the NHL. Philadelphia over Buffalo 4-3. 
in overtime. Buffalo blows a 3-0 lead there, and the Red Wings beat the Hurricanes 4-2. I'm Reed Wilkins, joined by Evan Dom from the Canada West Conference, which is now a part. So is it U Sports Canada, or is it just U Sports? Just U Sports. So this used to be the CIS. Yes. And back when I was a young lad, it was uh, CIAU. Yes. So the third third name now. Uh, what are the advantages, or I guess the perceived advantages, of, of changing uh, the name here? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing from the national organization was they wanted to turn the page and have a fresh start. And, you know, their first move in terms of trying to change the perceptions around CIS uh, was to go with a new brand, a new look, a new feel, something more energetic, um, you know, a new mark, obviously, to sort of start that rallying cry. Graham Brown is the CEO of the organization, and he took over um, almost exactly a year ago and, uh, you know, brought in a lot of change. There's a new governance structure with the organization, uh, trying a whole bunch of new initiatives, trying to be more uh, more savvy with corporate Canada. For instance, they moved the headquarters from from Ottawa to uh, just outside of Toronto to be closer to those corporate dollars and to, you know, the, the heart of sponsorship money in, in this country. So uh, trying to symbolize that to a large degree, I think, and, and find something that is, um, you know, a visual look that is is more energetic and appealing to the student-athlete. I, I Look, I did find it odd... And, and I know as you work for Canada West, I mean, you, you're, you're marketing th- this, is, this as well. Um, but what was it, last Thursday it was announced? Yes. Like, could have this not been announced August whatever when football is just starting? Like, the timing of it. Like, yeah, the like, timing is peculiar, no sure. question. I mean, for, for everybody, you know, who's a fan and who's looking at this and saying it doesn't make sense to change the name right now. And... Initially, the plan was to have the name unveiled in September to coincide with the start of the season, which would obviously make a lot of sense. Several things got pushed back. There were some delays with certain components of the uh, with the project, um, including the website, which hasn't fully launched yet. It's uh, partially launched. So the timing is not ideal. Um, there's no question about that. There's no way around that. The, mm-hmm. the time to launch it is at the start of the season. Um, so it's it's created a little bit of confusion um, amongst fans as to, you know, what sports are CIS this year? Is it U Sports this year? Does it start next year? Was this a soft, you know, so there's been questions about that. Uh, so there's no there's no way to, to dance around that. I can't put a spin on it. It would, would have been ideal to have the launch early in the season, but um, they had gone a long way with it and they, they didn't want to wait an entire a calendar year basically to, to go with it so they decided to go with a bit of a soft launch um, and uh, try and run from there but we are calling it U Sport as of now yes yeah all right uh, so hockey wise it doesn't it's still the University Cup correct so that doesn't change anything like that okay well uh, interesting not going to change my uh, interest in, in, in anything but but Good to know. Uh, all right, Evan Dobb joining us. Hey, uh, we had Kent Austin on the show earlier. Yeah, I heard Talked that. To the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Video review. It's been a hot topic this year. So, so two things I want to talk about here. Has, this, has the CFL gone too far in video review? In, in your mind, what, if anything, needs to change? 
Well, uh, first of all, I applaud them for, for taking the steps to try and be innovative. And, you know, the, the video official who has direct contact with the head official on the field, I think, is a great initiative. I think it's important for them to get things right and to have somebody who can review uh, without being asked things like the spot of the ball. Like, that should mm-hmm. be accurate 100% of the time. Um, you know, if if they see something else, they should be able to make, make a call down to the official on the field and get things rectified. Now, when it comes to plays on receivers, man, it's bogged the game down significantly. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's just too many plays that are, are being reviewed. And it, it takes some of the natural energy and emotion out of the game from my perspective as, as a fan. And that has been frustrating at, at very you know, numerous times throughout the course of the season, whether I'm watching my team play or, or you know, just two other teams uh, within the league. It's disappointing sometimes to get into a game and then t- at times get lulled to sleep by the stoppages. So I think they need to review how they review those pass interference calls and uh, illegal contact. I, I, th- I think they've gone too far with pass interference. Now I say this at working for the station that broadcasts the team mm-hmm. that won the Grey Cup last year because they were aided by two pass interference calls on the game-winning drive. Though I thought those pass interference calls were, de- especially the one on uh, on Walker, where the guy tackled his arms before the ball got there. To me, that was an obvious call that was missed. I don't like some of the interference calls where a coach is is well, Fishing. I got to keep this drive going, and you slow it down. Yep. It's like, oh, his hand brushed the back of his jersey. And I thought Neil King's call against BC last on Saturday should not be called. King's trying to play the ball. He's trying to reach around the receiver and knock it down. Well, yeah, you know what? Sometimes there's going to be split-second contact before the ball gets there. But I don't think that's pass interference if you're not dramatically jostling the receiver. So that to me, that's a rule issue as much as a, as a video sure. issue. Sure, yes, I would agree with that. And the other thing that's really frustrating is plays away from the ball that aren't even close and the quarterback is not targeting the receiver at all. And there, there's a flag thrown on that play to basically aid the, the drive with its continuation. And that's extremely frustrating, too. I mean, the thing is, is people love offense and we want to see points scored. But at the end of the day, big plays defensively are part of the game. Yes. And taking that away fundamentally alters what football is and I take issue with that and you know you you mentioned the king play that's I think that's a pretty good example of the rule itself as it's written in black and white not being true to the spirit of the game if we want to use that that's a good point and I mean you watch uh, I watched the I, I just happened to be flipping around on Saturday night and I watched the last four minutes of Penn State and Ohio State and I don't have a huge interest in NCAA yeah. football till it gets to the Bulls but but uh, it was a fun finish by the way because Penn State blocked a field goal and ran it back which turned out to be the winning points and then Ohio State's driving the ball they threw a long bomb down the left sideline and the ha- halfback was beaten and he dove and hacked the receiver's arms and then the ball fell incomplete and when you watched it in slow motion, it's pass interference. Mm-hmm. At full speed, it's like, well, the official was like, not sure. So, and, and this is another thing with the CFL. I think, uh, and I'm really only talking about pass interference. I, I think that they've been instructed 
I mean, you, I think you would like your, to tell an official if you're sure make the call. I think officials in the CFL have been told with pass interference. Aaron's on the if, side if, of caution. If you think maybe yep. it was pass interference, just throw the flag. And I, and I think that needs to be sorted out. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. They, they, that from me, from a, a purely football perspective, that is the one thing that they need to reevaluate in the offseason and make, make adjustments to. Because it's not just... You know, it's not just you and I who are talking about this. It's not just a couple of markets. Um, it's across the board, across the league. People are frustrated with it because it takes it takes some of the joy and the flow out of the game. Evan Dom in studio from Canada West Conference. We'll get into some Oilers chat with him. Alan and Darren say, Reed, can you play an Offspring song and do a long intro for us working away in the rain tonight? All right, uh... Should we get self-esteem coming back from break? Maybe. There's no dirty words near the start of that song for Alan and Darren. And uh, Bean's texting in. I think it's late enough at night we can read this. I assume he's referring to the Oilers, even though they're technically behind the Canadians now. First place, boys. Food tastes better. I'm sleeping better. And the sex. Oh, the sex. That is from Beans. <laughs> Apparently his... Uh, his intimate lifestyle has improved because the Oilers are winning. That's interesting. Uh, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. <laughs> it's 842 Inside Sports on Jet. Hi, this is Jay Allwright from FS1 or from Athabasca. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Jet. This is for Alan and Darren from their, I want to say 19, I should have looked it up, from their 1994 compact disc. Was it not called uh, Smash? That predates me, Reed. All right, we'll look it up right now. I was alive, but... You were alive. I wasn't purchasing anything. You were listening to Sesame Street. (laughs) Self-esteem song. Pretty sure it was Smash. What does uh, the Google machine say? I'm looking it up on my handheld computer. Like, why do we call them phones? No one places a phone call on them. Hardly ever. This is more powerful than my VIC-20. Yeah, single by the offspring from the album Smash, released December 22nd, 1994. So there you go, everybody. That song is a Christmas song. <laughs> Probably a good stocking stuff for that year. I agree. You got somebody that... Did you ever buy the cassette singles? No, of course you didn't. No. You had CDs as a child. I had CDs as a child, yes. And now, now got, they have nothing. Now we got the Apple Music. Now the children of today have nothing. That's right. It's they have sad. No, they, this is the sad thing. The children of today <laughs> and tomorrow will have no material possessions. Everything will just be in the cloud. Their music, their movies, their clothing. Their dreams. <laughs> their hopes and dreams floating in the sky. Ah, it could be worse places. Well, that, that's, uh, that's very true. Evan Dom in studio here. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Evan Dom works for the uh, Canada West Conference, part of U Sport. And uh, former, what else have you done? You worked for the U of A. You worked for the Edmonton Journal. Did you work, actually work for the U of A? Well, I was doing my master's there, so I was doing some you work for them. You were a student at the yes. U of A. It's a form of work. Yes. Uh, worked for the Edmonton Journal. Uh, well, I don't know. I think somebody's requesting a naughty song. I don't know what it is, though, Michael. I don't think we could play it on Ched, whatever it is you're requesting. I don't know it. Uh, <laughs> Ward from Saskatoon says, who will be the next Semenko for Connor McDavid? 
Well, I don't know if there's going to be somebody quite in that role. Yeah, if only it was 25, 30 years earlier, there might have been. Lucic will uh, protect as necessary with a little bit of uh, Cassian and Hendricks thrown in. Maybe Nurse as we move along. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if there'll be, and I know Semenko had some goals playing with Gretzky. I don't know if there'll be somebody in that limited a role though in the NHL much more anymore. No, I think that that type of player, singular, sort of tough guy who's out there to take care of business in that respect, has gone the way of the dodo bird. Caller asked me earlier, how long will the Oilers stay in the top three in the Pacific Division? Uh, the, I found that tough to answer. I'm, I'm optimistic. A 5-1 and one start, points in the bank. I, I think they can avoid catastrophic losing streaks. Till Christmas? December, sure. Yep. Uh, let's, I, I don't think Vancouver is going to stay up there. No, they're I, not a good enough team. I, I think Calgary will obviously get better, and they might win again tonight. Will they win enough to really shoot past the Oilers in the short term? Not sure about that. Anaheim's clearly going to get, well, I, I think clearly going to get better. San Jose, I think, can hang around. Um, L.A. to me, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about L.A. You think their time has passed them a little bit? I think it's passing them, yes. Mm-hmm. I think the Oilers are going up and the Kings are coming down a little bit. We'll see. If, but, I mean, the Kings have not started well. Uh, what's their score tonight here? But, uh, oh, they still haven't started. Well, they're just getting underway against the Blue Jackets. The goaltending issue is going to be a thing for the Kings. They're scoreless against the Blue Jackets. They're 2-3 and three on the year. The yeah, Oilers, the, if the Oilers keep, if if the Oilers can avoid like an uh, a one six and one stretch, mm-hmm. you know, if even on this road trip, if they can go two two and one, two one and two, they'll they'll be okay. Well, they've built themselves a pretty nice cushion to start the season. I mean, when you rack up five wins in your first six games, that's you can't ask for much more. That's a very good start to the year, and there's some teams in the in the division that have struggled out of the gate, so I don't think it's unrealistic for them to be in a very good position until, until we get to Christmas, till we get to the new year. I mean, we'll find out how good they are and how good the other teams are in this in the league, heading into the All-Star game and coming out of the All-Star game. That's when we'll really, that's when we'll really know what kind of team they are. See, so, well, you're giving them quite a while then, though. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be good. I what, think they're going to be better than what, they obviously have been. But well, that's not hard. Obviously. No, it's not. But it's a situation where once once the pre, once the once the pressure and if they're in a position where there is going to be any pressure starts to come, that's that's when you're going to know when they're a team. Yes. Uh, so what, no pressure winning right now, Reed. There there isn't. No, the first ten games are different, and I mean Todd McClellan talks about the first ten games. Some coaches talk about every ten game segment getting yep. a little tougher. Um, now the thing is, the longer the Oilers hang around in it, let's face it, because the Oilers have, and I, and I know guys are professional and pro athletes are used to trying their hardest, but the teams that are out of it, you can't. They do lose a little bit of interest, and they're they're not. So the the longer the Oilers stay in it. Yes, the level of competition increases, but you also might get a team yes. in, in January, February that's already starting to think about the summer. So yep. that's something that the position they haven't been. Well, what's most encouraging for you where you actually think, okay, I, I think they're going to hang around? 
Well, I mean, I think we all knew going into the year, and this hasn't been the problem in the past, is their ability to score goals and to get production. Um, and, I mean, Connor McDavid's only getting it better as he gets gets older. So I don't think offensively there were a ton of question marks as to what this team was going to be able to do. We knew they are going to be able to score enough goals to win um, if they got good goaltending and some solid defense. I think their defense has been uh, significantly, if not vastly, improved through a very small sample size. And they have a goaltender who has looked like he can be a number one guy who can carry the load and, and be very good over the course of a season. Now, again, it's tough to say. I mean, we're six games in. Um, do I think they make the playoffs? No, I don't think they make the playoffs. I think they're close. And it's going to be, I think when you look at it, it's going to be from about six to ten in the conference. It's going to be pretty close. Um, in terms of their point totals and what the teams are going to be like. So you get you get on a winning streak at the right time and another team goes the other way and, and you could find yourself right right in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, just strictly based on paper and historically what the guys on this roster have done, they're probably not a playoff team, but they are significantly better than they were uh, last season, uh, you know, by virtue of some guys getting older, some guys moving on and, and some different pieces coming in. I mean, Lucic is going to be uh, the type of glue guy that you need to have in your lineup that they haven't had for years. So uh, the additions they made in the offseason were positive, but at the end of the day, just strictly based on statistics and sort of the roster makeup, they're still not quite there. I picked them to win 38 games, which probably wouldn't be in the playoffs. If they get to 41, they probably get in. Well, it depends on That's how, how many. Clo- and again, it depends. You, I, you, historically, the loser points. since they've gone and, and the and the loser points, and that's and that's what I mean. Are they good enough to tough it out on nights where maybe they don't have it and yeah. get into overtime? And then sometimes you steal wins in overtime or or Certainly. a shootout too. That, that's that's the that's that's the interesting thing. Um, more organized, more patient so far. But and I was saying earlier, I recognize. There are some things that you you hope they still they they can't allow as many shots as they have been. Though some of that has been score effects because teams. I mean, the Winnipeg thirty one shots were not very dangerous in the third no. period. Um, and even if they'd scored, it would have been late in the game. Uh, Latestu is not going to score two shorthanded goals every six games. An unusual thing that went in their favor. Pitlick's not going to keep up that pace. An unusual thing that went in their favor. So I, I recognize those types of things. Flip side, maybe the power play gets a little better. Maybe Nugent Hopkins and Pouliot start hitting the score sheet. So you hope that maybe some of the things have that have Evens gone out. their way and aren't going to continue. Maybe other things bound. But at least we're asking those questions as opposed to I'm already learning everything I can about Nolan Patrick because the Oilers might be drafting him first overall. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have to worry about that this time around, Reed. I, I don't think there's any question that they'll be they'll not they won't they'll be more in the conversation to make the playoffs than they will to get the number one overall draft pick, which is going to be a breath of fresh air. Evan, it's always great that you come in, buddy. CanadaWest.org. That's the site. CanadaWest.org. CanadaWest.tv to watch all the games. Thanks for coming in. Anytime, Reed. You also heard from Ben Raby from the Capitals Radio Network, Tiger Cats head coach Kent Austin, Dave Campbell from our Eskimos broadcast crew. He's also the producer of this show. Bob Stoffer joined us earlier, and you also heard from Cam Talbot. Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. I'll be back with you at 6 for the face-off show. The game against the Capitals starts at 7.30 tomorrow night. Our studio producer, Matthew Panashik. Get more on the Oilers and on the news of the day on 630Ched.com. Thanks a lot for tuning in. She had a guitar and she taught him some chords. The sky was the limit. 630Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Ched.